0: Why are you here right now? Why? Think about that. I'm not talking about like some big existential question. Like, what is, what is presence? Like, no, no, I'm just saying like, why church? Why do we do this? Why did Aaron just say all that stuff and we sing this song that we just sang? Like, why? Let's take a look at a lesson that Jesus taught his disciples after he had died on the cross risen from the grave, spent some time proving that he had risen from the de- grave, and begin to ascend back into heaven. And he's going to gather with his disciples and give what we call the Great Commission. So you don't have to look it up. It'll be on the screen behind, you, uh, behind me. And if you've, you've heard this before, try to listen to it one new time. Uh, if you've never heard it before, this is the mission that God set all Christians on at the very beginning. This is in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him they worshiped him. But some doubted. And then Jesus came and he said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end." of the age. Hold that thought, hold that Moment I got a story for you. Uh, it was 2003 and I spent that summer in West Africa in the country of Ghana Working with a missionary named Jeff Hostetter It was a life-changing summer to say the least I have more stories from that few months that I was there than maybe the following ten years combined like I just and and I've got story after story uh, Many of the stories were uh, about life change and growth many of them were about shenanigans uh, today I want to tell you a story that was a little bit of both some life change and some shenanigans me and my friends uh, I had three friends that from college that we went together and And with Jeff and we were riding through this remote road in a rainforest somewhere in Ghana and I'm talking about remote Like I don't even remember how paved the road was. I think there was paving I remember we didn't see people for a long time and this moment happened where the car started making some funky noises like this grinding noise And then all of a sudden the car wouldn't move anymore. We kind of Pulled over to the side of the road and we're like Well, this stinks. This is before you know GPS on your cell phone. We didn't have a cell phone. There's no cell phone service in the rainforest. So we're sitting there like, what do we do? Now Jeff had been in Ghana for over 25 years or something at the time. He was like, this kind of stuff happens all the time. No big deal. We get out of the car. We kind of assess the situation. We realize we don't know what's wrong. And so we're like, well, what do we do? Well, it's becoming the end of the day. And Jeff says, well, we're just going to stay here. And we're like, here? We're going to stay here? He's like, Yeah, I mean, what else do we want to do? It's like 20 miles back to the next place I know of. I don't even know what's ahead of us. I don't know. There's probably people near us, but we don't know how to get to them. We're just going to spend the night. So we did. We kind of walked off the trail a little bit. We found this ranger station that was unlocked, and we just kind of let ourselves in. Uh, I want to remind you, we were not on a camping trip. We had nothing with us. There was one can of baked beans in the car. And we all shared for dinner that night. I remember we made a fire. I remember how beautiful the sky was. And Jeff just talked to us about stuff and his life in Africa. And then, um, and then we went to sleep. Um, we prayed about it and we went to sleep. And the next morning, as we were going to bed, we were like, so what is our plan? Jeff's like, well, let's just see what God provides in the morning. The next morning, <laughs> we're talking about what to do. And down the road, we see him. It gets slower, closer, closer, closer. A little boy on a bicycle. (laughs) We're like, well, that's not going to be useful. He pulls up, and Jeff starts talking to him. Fortunately, they knew one of the same languages. There's a lot of languages in Ghana. And so, they're talking, and, and I remember this moment. The boy goes, oh, mechanic, mechanic, mechanic. He's saying mechanic, and he just leaves on his little bicycle, and we're like, well, what now? What are we going to do? And Jeff's like, let's just wait and see what happens. So we just, I remember we like got, there was like a, a, a river nearby. We swam in the river. We're hanging out. We just got all day. Got nothing to do. A little while later, the boy comes back on his bicycle. And there's a grown man on his handlebars. And he pedals the guy to our car. And the guy hops off. This is the, notice my air quotes, mechanic. You know what tools he brought? A hammer and a crowbar. That's what He brought. That's what he brought to work on our car. He didn't even know what was wrong with it. So uh, he talks to Jeff, and they have an agreement. And we turn and we're like, what, what's this guy going to do? Jeff's like, I've learned his best just to not watch. So he just we walk away. And we just start hearing clink, 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 clink. It's like a, like a blacksmith shop, okay? We're like, at the t- I know a lot about cars now. I'm actually kind of a car guy now. At the time, I knew nothing about cars, but I was pretty sure that's not how you fix whatever's broken. But sure enough, like half an hour later, the guy walks over, he's like, it's fixed we're like what now now that i do know more about cars and maybe you know about cars this is what happened there's something on your wheel called a caliper it's the little squeezer thing that pushes your brakes and makes your your brake stop it had gotten like really seized onto there and really stuck and so basically the brakes were stuck shut all he did was bang it loose and broke it off and now we have three brakes instead of four but that's plenty to get back home hey praise god so here's the message here's the lesson uh number one uh, camp in the woods and pray, I guess. That's the lesson. Number two, if you ever break down in a rainforest in Ghana, I know a guy. So <laughs> that's, the, that's the plan. Why in the world do I tell that story after reading the Great Commission? Um, <laughs> here's the deal. Uh, in life, each one of us, we only have what we have. You don't have more than you have. You only have what you have. And then it's your job to do the best you can with what you have. For us, we had a little boy on a bicycle. He had a mechanic. The mechanic had a hammer and a crowbar, and I guess we had a lot of faith. And 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 that was the that was the lesson. You just work with what you have, and that's all you can really do. What is it for you? What do you have? What are the skills God has given you? What is the position in your work that you have? Place in the neighborhood, the community? Are you a parent? Are you a child? That's what you have. And that's the best you're going to get. I'm sorry. (laughs) What are you going to do with it? I started out reading Jesus' great commission. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, here's the deal. As Jesus is talking to these original disciples, I think that 2,000 years later, which is where we are now, if you don't know where this falls in history, this was 2,000 years ago when Jesus has this moment with his disciples. And in this moment in history, they have no way of knowing what the church is going to become. The worldwide movement, the life changing organization and organism that the church is going to become. All they hear is Jesus, who they just saw raised from the dead and do miracles, tell them, go make a difference in the world. All nations, baptizing them, teaching them. Now, can you imagine what went through their minds? Where do I start? Where do we camp? We didn't bring a tent. We don't have mechanics tools. (laughs) What What do we do? There's actually this great line. I love it. Matthew 28, verse 17 says When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Understandably, their great leader, who they'd seen him do incredible things, and they would follow him to the ends of the earth, he is leaving. Now it's one thing to have a lot of empowering when you're like with someone who can do it. Like if you ever, uh, you know, if you just with when you're a kid and you're with your parents, you're like, yeah, we can go anywhere. I don't even know where we parked the car in the parking lot. Do, do, do. Like I could go with my parents anywhere. But then when you grow up and you're like, oh, it's up to me to remember where I parked my car in the parking lot. Like it's, whew, that's a lot of responsibility. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Side note: it's okay to have doubts and fears. The disciples did. We don't have all the answers. But Jesus gives him this assuring thing at the very end of his great commissions. He says, But surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. But there's a gap between some doubted and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. There's something in there where you have to do something. And, and I'm, I'm convinced that the thing you have to do is the best you can do with what you have. That's what we do, that's the mission. And you go try and make a difference with what you have. We've been in this series called Above and Beyond. This is the fifth week we've been talking about this. And we've covered a lot of ground. And it's been really good for me just to study it, to teach it. And I hope it has for you as well. And it all comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. And this is what it says. It says, now to him who is able to do, here's the phrase, immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. That's who we talk to. The Lord of hosts, the King of kings, He's able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. We serve an above and beyond God. So that phrase above and beyond is just like a translation that we've made up from immeasurably more. That's what God does for us. We serve an above and beyond God and he wants an above and beyond response from us. Not because if we do enough good things, he'll save us because we've done enough good things, no. But because from the overflow of the love that he gives to us, he wants us to make a difference in the world, above and beyond. And so we've talked about being above and beyond a place. The church isn't about a place. Places are important, but we're about a people. And we talked about finding your place in that body. We talked about being above and beyond the pain. And so the thing that the church, the body of Christ gets to bring to the world is hope. Like, there's a lot of cool things we can provide, but if we're not showing them the way back to God through Jesus, then what are we here for? Above and beyond the pain. We talked about an above and beyond prayer. Uh, Friday, we ended a 12 days of prayer as a church together. A lot of you guys did that. That was really cool to do together. And a handful of us were able to gather at the, the building on Darlington Avenue on Friday at 6.30 to do a, a prayer time together. I know a bunch of you signed up for 24 hours of prayer on Friday. Uh, some of you even fasted during that 24 hours. And so, because we believe in an above and beyond God who says, ask me an above and beyond prayer. And so for me, for my family, it was really cool just for 12 straight days for us to make sure we sat together and prayed. And just so you know, yeah, I'm I'm a preacher. but We're not the best at doing everything perfect all the time. It was good to have a reminder (laughs) that we need to pray together and do this stuff together. And I hope that you did some of that too. It's not too late. It's not too late to do 12 days or as many days as you want. That was an above and beyond prayer. Last week we talked an above and beyond Generosity. Remember that idea that there's just this extravagant generosity that we can do. It's not expected of us. It's just something we get to do because of a passion we have. And so maybe some of you came today, I hope a lot of you did, come today prepared for what we're calling Commitment Sunday. And you took home that card last week and that was your commitment. If you missed last week and you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll recap later on. But maybe that's on your heart right now and that's something that you've been thinking about. So there's a lot of above and beyond talk. Today I want to talk about, I want to leave the present and I want to go into the future, okay? When I think about those disciples hearing that great commission and I fast forward 2,000 years to where we are today, they had no way of knowing the legacy that they would leave. And so today I want to talk about our legacy and above and beyond legacy. Because guys, from this space and this gym, and for the last nine years, we've been building the foundation for it as a church. And for the next nine years and the next nine years and the next nine years, there's going to be when all, a day when all of us are dead and gone, okay? What are we leaving to our children? What are we leaving to this city? What is our legacy going to be? And combined, we can make a huge difference, so an above and beyond legacy. And to get there, we're finally going to get into some of God's Word that you can open up and look into. Every single week, we open God's Word and read in the Bible together. So if you've got a Bible or if you want to get one from the shelf over here, you're welcome to grab one. They're free to have. Uh, we're going to be all the way back in the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible. Flip over to Exodus. Feel free to look it up on your phone, too. It'll also be on the screen behind me. And we're going to start out just a little bit of Exodus chapter 3, and then we're going to go into Exodus chapter 4. Exodus is the story of, this is the time in history when the nation of Israel is in enslaved in Egypt. The estimates are there might be like a million Israelite slaves or so in Egypt at the time. And this is a time period where God's ready to set them free. And so uh, it's a beautiful time in history. And the exodus, that root word X-E-X, is about going out of. And so this is them exiting Egypt. That's what the book of Exodus is about, um, if you didn't know that. And so um, th- Moses is going to find himself in a position. This is Moses. This is who we're looking at today. Moses is going to find himself in a position, like the disciples who had to hear Jesus give a great commission, where God's going to call him to do something great. That's going to leave a mark for generations to come, even to this day. And he's going to ask the same question that me and my buddies asked, and we saw the little boy on the bike. <laughs> it's like, how is this going to work out? <laughs> so, Exodus chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7. Verse uh, 7. Make sure we got the background on this thing. They're in Egypt uh, as slaves, the, 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 the Israelites are. Moses isn't living in Egypt. If you don't know Moses' story, I totally encourage you. Just start at Exodus chapter 1 and read the first four or five chapters, and you're going to get a roller coaster. It's going to be a really cool journey to understand Moses' story. But Moses is living outside of Egypt. He's maybe like 80 years old at this point in his life, okay? And he's got a past with Pharaoh. And there's going to be this moment now where he sees this bush on fire. You've all seen a fire, whether it was a candle or a bonfire, you've seen a fire. Generally, fires consume the things that they're burning. But in this story, it says that Moses saw a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. Like, it was just totally fine with being on fire. And as a shepherd at this point in his life, he's seen a lot of fires. He's like, that's not normal. He walks over to the fire, and then, boom, something crazy happens. The voice of God just rattles his cranium and begins to speak into his life, okay? And I don't know what that was like. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know what it sounded like. But I do know what he said because Moses took some time to write it down later. So Exodus chapter 3 verse 7 says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And then skip down to verse 10. It says, so now, talking to Moses, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the king of Egypt. You probably learned about this in elementary school. This is a powerful individual in the world. Go to Pharaoh, (laughs) bring the Israelites out of Egypt. If you know much American history, you know the people who own slaves don't like letting them go. And this is what Moses has been tasked with doing, to go to the arguably the most powerful man in the world and say, I want you to release this entire nation group of slaves that you've been using to build your houses and your roads and plant your crops and everything. And i got to be honest, uh, Moses, so let's look at verse 4. I'm uh, sorry, fast forward to chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, well, what if they don't believe me? Or listen to me. And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. In this moment that Moses uh, is in, I got to be honest, this is is a moment I resonate with a lot. Um, I don't know if you've thought about this very often, but every single week, people like me, preachers, we stand in front of a group of of people like you and we talk. And I, I have wrestled with this moment like Moses is wrestling with many times. God, why me? i don't have anything special to say and by the way i've got my own brokenness that i'm dealing with what if they see through my brokenness and they realize i'm just a phony right i have no particular authority or power have you ever wrestled with that like you feel like you want to talk to somebody about your faith or about your god but you're like well i mean why me like i don't have all the answers and what if i stumble through my words and what if they ask me a question i can't answer and i've got my own doubts And so if you've ever had that feeling, you're in good company because Moses (laughs) felt the same way. What do I say? But what God says to Moses next is brilliant. And here's what I want to do. I want to try my best to help you burn this moment into your mind because I think this moment will guide you. It could guide you for the rest of your life. Moses says this, don't miss it. How would they know it's me? Why am I doing this? By what authority? And the Lord says to him, Verse 2, well, what is that in your hand? What? What is that in your hand? Uh, A staff, Moses replied. He's a shepherd at this point in his life. He's got a staff in his hand. The Lord said, okay, throw it down on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground. And it became a snake. Then the Lord said to him, Now reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So because Moses is a man's man, he reaches down and he picks up the snake by the tail and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. What just happened? (laughs) It's like, uh, how are they going to know that I sent you? What's that in your hand? Stick. Drop it on the ground. Oh my goodness. Now, we could really pick this thing apart and go a lot of different ways. I I want you to know this. Um, Moses is pretty new at this listening to God thing. In fact, there's a good chance that before this moment, he wasn't sure if he was going to be monotheistic or not. Like, I don't know. He was raised in Egypt. And he had the gods of Egypt that he knew about. He knew some stuff about his ancestry as an Israelite. But man, this moment is like, wow, the bush is talking, and now my stick has turned into a snake. But in this moment, I don't know if he knew exactly what God's big plan was. He's understandably nervous. He's got to go talk to Pharaoh. He's been asked to try to ask all these slaves to be free. Please, can you let your slaves go? And now his stick has turned into a snake. And so all he knows at this moment is that, well, whoever's talking to me is obviously very powerful. (laughs) This is a big deal. But he hits this moment, and he's going to go into some negotiations with God. We're not going to read them all. Again, I encourage you to read the whole story if it's been a while or if you've never looked at it. He's going to go into some negotiations with God, but let me just kind of paraphrase what I think is going through his mind. Because he's like, okay, God in the bush, I understand that you're very powerful, I understand what you want. You want your people to be free from the Egyptian slavery. I understand that. Uh, but what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> you want me, what do you want me? Like, do I dig up the bush? Do I take the bush? Like you tell them. Because I don't know what I'm supposed to do about this. But I never want you to forget what God asked Moses, because I think it's the same question he's asking each one of us. He says, No, 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 Moses. What is that in your hand? Moses had a staff in his hand. For Moses, it represented his livelihood. I told you, he's a herdsman. He's a, he's a shepherd. And his staff was his calling card. I don't think it's a stretch to believe that if, if he had propped that staff on a stick and went and sat by the fire, uh, and another guy that was a shepherd friend of his walked up, he'd see that stick and be like, oh, Moses is here. Like, this is a very personal item to him. He uses it every single day. And so God says, what's in your hand? And I don't want to over-allegorize this Moses story for you, but I think that we can really pull a lot out of it for ourselves. My question is, what's in your hand? What is the thing you use every single day? What is the skill that you have, the job that you have, the position that you have? What is the title that you have? What are some people that you influence? And I'm not saying that God's going to turn your laptop into a crocodile, okay? Or your cell phone into a, a giraffe. Like, that would be terrifying. It's not about magic tricks here. What I'm saying is that more than that item, that stick, did God need Moses' stick for anything? Of course not. But more than using that staff, what he needed was someone who was available, someone who was willing to take what he had in his hand and use it for the God. What's in your hand? What do you carry with you every single day? I'm not talking literally, maybe literally, yeah, literally your cell phone. Maybe you can make a phone call and make a difference. But figuratively, like, what do you do? What did you spend tens of thousands of dollars going to college to do? That might be a sore subject. You're like, I don't do that, actually. I do another job now. I don't know. What do you do with your life? What is in your hand? Because God has a message he wants us to share with the world. And it's terrifying. But he says, you don't have to do this alone. Surely I will be with you always. But what I need from you is whatever's in your hand. Will you drop it and let me use it? Now, it turns out this staff thing and snake thing, that's going to play out in Moses' story later. later there's like these witch doctors that work for the, uh, the Pharaoh. He, they're called magicians, but I think they're demon-possessed. That's my personal take on it. And so they get to do some pretty powerful things because of the evil spirits living inside of them. But whatever happens with that, there's this moment where like there's snakes and staffs involved and all this stuff. But what happens is time after time after time, when Moses employs his, his God stick, uh, he stumps the witch doctors that work for Pharaoh. And they find that their power is no match for the power of the living God. And then Moses, from there, moves on to go do some incredible things leading the nation of Israel. And all along, he's got his staff in his hand. Moses goes on to barter and complain and beg some more. Please, he's not a good public speaker. Some people believe maybe he had a speech impediment or stuttered or something like that. God's like, I got somebody that's going to do the talking, but you're the leader. And finally, Moses agrees. I love this line um, in verse 11. There's two lines I want to read you from this story, and then we'll we'll close out that story. In verse 11 from chapter 4, the Lord says to him, who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, go. I will help you, and I will teach you what to say. He just wants them to be available And so after he finally agrees, okay, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. And I love verse 17. God says to Moses, but, 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 take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. I don't think it's a small thing that you have a skill, that you have a business, that you have relationships, that you have passion or talents. Does God need you to do each of those things to accomplish his things in the world? I think if he wanted things done, he spoke creation into existence with a word. I don't think He needs us, but I think He wants to partner with us. What is in your hand? Take it with you. And see what God can do with it. I want to push Paul's and Moses' story, and I want to push play on our story, and I want to see what is it that God's calling us to do today? Uh, what is in your hand, and what is God calling you to do? There, there are some things, like, we're in a variety of spaces in our lives right now, right? I mean, if we went through everybody's head right now, We're in all kinds of different faith places, but maybe for you, you've just been thinking about turning your life over to God. You made it to church. He gave you an extra hour of sleep this week, you know, thanks to legislation about time, (laughs) and you decided to come, and you're here, and maybe you're like, I just got to get serious about my faith. Maybe you've never turned your life over to Jesus in the first place. Maybe you need to make the decision to proclaim Christ and to be baptized into his name and we've talked about this for the last several weeks in the series like that baptism moment is going down into the the graves of baptism and dying to your old self and raising to walk in newness of life maybe that's the decision you need to make that's what God's calling you to do and that's all he's calling you to do today choose me walk with me talk with me make me your Lord Let me show you what I can do with your life. Or maybe he's calling you to take your personal walk with him further. Like you've been doing the Jesus thing for a little while, but you're like, you're pretty lame if you're honest with yourself. You barely attend church or you barely read your Bible, you barely pray. I'm not calling anybody out or stepping on anybody's toes. I'm just saying, this is a a spectrum and you're in there, right? And you know better, but you're like, I just got to do better. Do it. What's in your hand? Use that to do that. God wants to empower you. He's not here to beat you up. He's here to lift you up. And he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. Church family, let's do that. We're making this big move to Darlington Avenue. Let's not get over there and just be another church on the block. It's like, eh, man, someone shows up. Maybe we'll look down our nose at them. No, let's lift people up with the love of Jesus. And so maybe that's where you need to take that step to just go, go farther in your faith. Like, do it. Maybe he's calling you to use your time for him more specifically. Like, I think there might be someone in the room today who's being called to be a missionary or a preacher do you guys know where missionaries and preachers come from local churches that's where they come from it's the only place they come from they don't grow in fields there's not a magical place somewhere where god's like i've got my missionary farm over here and my preacher farm over here no like right now i'm gonna tell you there are people around the world there are churches who have no leadership right now and maybe that's you and you're like you know what i need to maybe figure out what that looks like for me maybe that's you And it could, I told you, there's a spectrum and you're somewhere on it. But what is in your hand that God can use to help you do that? You're not alone. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What is it that you do every day? What skill do you have? What resource do you have? God says, use that for me. And that's how you'll know who sent you. Because he multiplies what we do. I have seen this in my own life so many countless times. that I'll. It's so great when, when I feel like I bombed. Like, I'm just going to use the sermon moment. Like, I feel like I bombed. Like, that was the worst thing I ever said. And then someone's like, God, ah, it changed my life. I'm like, it must have been the Holy Spirit, because it definitely wasn't me. Like, I wasn't in that. I felt terrible about it. And God's like, see? Take your stick to work with you, man. <laughs> you just do that, okay? And I will multiply that, and I will use that. So Moses does it. He takes his stick to Pharaoh. Man, read the story. I mean, he just stumps the magicians. He ends up being like the voice piece of God as these plagues come down on Egypt. And time after time after time, people begin to come to faith in the living God, including some Israelites, who I'm sure were not gonna be faithful to him until they saw the stuff God did through Moses. They get out of Egypt. He ends up guiding them through the wilderness for decades. And the stories go on and on and on. And, and, And he was an old man. He was like 80 when he got started on that journey. And all along the way, God uses his weaknesses and his availability to show his own glory. It was never about the staff. It was never about the stick. It was about faith in the power of the living God. And to this day, Moses' legacy lives on. Do you know that the nation of Israel that he... Leeds eventually becomes the birthplace of God coming into the world as a human named Jesus. The whole baby Jesus story at Christmas, like that comes out of the nation of Israel. Christianity today is what it is, largely in part to the nation that God used Moses to help build. We're talking today about above and beyond legacy. When the church was first getting started, there was a very small group of people I'm talking about not venture church, but like way at the beginning, just a couple dozen that led to a couple hundred, and Jesus gathers with those, those few, and he's about to go back into heaven after he's risen from the dead. It says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go. And make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, Not everyone is Moses. There's not room in history for too many Moseses. Not everyone is uh, one of the original disciples. But every single one of us has a role to play in the kingdom of god and the things that you invest in the kingdom of god from your hands will have echoes into eternity for someone else this lesson could be applied a thousand different ways and i want you to apply it however god's moving your heart to apply it but last week i gave us a challenge and uh i want to go back to that challenge now because many of you came prepared for this challenge today And i want to let you know that I'm excited about it. And as we ask the question, what is in your hands? One thing that might be in your hand today is this commitment card. Someone gave it to you last week. We talked a lot about what it means to be extravagantly generous. And I'll tell you, if you're a visitor today or you haven't been in church long, you might be like, oh, here comes the part where the church talks about money. We hardly ever talk about money at our church. Just ask anyone who's been here for nine years. It's like very rare. But when we do, we talk about it in a healthy way. And so for the last couple of months, we've been sending out letters, and we've done vision nights, and we've talked about all these ways that we want to be an above and beyond group of people. But part of that was financial. And we said, hey, listen, for us to do incredible things together, we're going to have to bind together and do this together. And so last week, uh, as we talked about that that option, we handed out these cards. We said, take this home and pray about it. So if you're a guest today and you've never seen this before or heard about it before, I want you to know that what's about to happen, you don't have to participate in. And in fact, I would encourage you maybe not to today. Maybe you choose to later, but not to today, um, because we talked about last week that this needs to be something that you pray about. And so I hope you took your card home last week and you spent some time praying about it, talking with your spouse if you're married, or just thinking through your personal finances and saying, over the next 25 months, what do I want to contribute to what is essentially paying down debt on a building down the street so that we can have as few obstacles in our way as a church family, as we continue to live out the Great Commission. We wanna go on Darlington Avenue and we want to make the name of Jesus famous. I wanna make that the hardest street in Wilmington to go to hell from. I want you to be, you live on Wilmington, you're like, dang man, if you're around here, y'all heard of Adventure Church, man, they will help you find God. The brokenness that you're experiencing, man, they're gonna help you find wholeness. Not because they're great, because they are, but not because they have these amazing staffs and they're great shepherds. No, but because they were willing to lay it down and use their time and their resources and their skills to help us find this. And so, also, if you're a Venture Church regular and you weren't here last week or you didn't pick up on some of this stuff, I want to let you know that the sermon I preached last week is up on our YouTube page. It's on Facebook. It's on most podcast places. And so when this moment's about to happen in a second, maybe instead of turning this in, you take it. You begin to pray about it. Go find the podcast, listen to it, take a week to pray about it. We're actually gonna be accepting these cards through November 20th. Um, But this is a 25-month commitment. And what this is, like I said, you can apply this Moses message in a lot of different ways. But a lot of us in the room right now are holding this in our hand. You've been encouraged to think how you can give courageously, consistently, and creatively. Our leaders have gone first. I announced last week the exciting number. We have a goal in this, this, uh, this part of the initiative to, to raise an extra $350,000 over 25 months. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I couldn't produce that myself. Um, but together we can make a big dent in it. And our leaders decided to go first. We had a dinner two Fridays ago. And we said, we, we had been praying about it for like a month. And we took our cards. And I, and I shared with you last week that as of last week, our leaders have committed over two hundred and twenty eight. Thousand dollars to this campaign. Our our celebration goal was two hundred thousand dollars. They they already helped us reach that goal to start, and so that's just talking about like ten or twelve family groups doing that. And so maybe you've been inspired by the fact that they were willing to lay some things down. Uh, I won't go into that whole thing again because we talked about that all last week. But I want you to know that you've got an opportunity to make a difference. I want you to take some time to pray about this, and I want to ask you the question: What is in your hands? And what can you do to lay that down for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God, to leave a legacy for generations to come through what our church family is able to do together? Uh, The gifts that each of us commit today over the next 25 months, um, whether it's through an offering that you share or whether it's through the the kind words that you share with your coworker, or you, you help your friend, your neighbor clean up after a storm, all of those things that we lay down, God uses for his glory and he multiplies. And if we invest what's in our hands into what God's doing in this world, He would do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Let's pray together.